Well, good morning, church. Man. You know, anybody could say that they uh, would die for your sins. And there's no way of proving it if they said, hey, I'm going to die for your sins. The proof was that he rose again. That, because he conquered the grave, proves that he forgave you your sins. So, because of that, we sing, our Redeemer lives. Amen? Well, we are in uh, James chapter 4. For those of you guys who are here all the time, you guys know that. Um, We started this chapter last week and we will be in it next week as well. And so we're going to be studying the the middle portion of this chapter. We'll be looking at verses 7 through through 10 this morning. But before we jump right into, or before we jump into James 4, I'd like to ask you a question. It's like a rhetorical question, so you don't have to answer, but um, it's a what-would-you-rather question. Um, it's a silly question game that I play when I was the youth pastor. It just seemed like I was always, we are always playing around, like, what would you rather type thing and stuff, and so it's, it's one of those kinds of questions, but it's a little bit more serious than that, and here, here's the question. Would you rather have war or peace? Again, if, if, if we're honest with ourselves, um, I know because we know what, what war and peace consists of, we would probably all want peace in our lives. Now, again, knowing some guys in here, they would be asking like, well, yeah, I want peace, but can it be peace through strength? You know, just because you're macho, you got to have like that overriding like power to have peace. Well, of course, you can have peace that way too. But, but again, most of the world would rather have peace because a lot of the world understands what war does in their country. The ravages of, of war can, can decimate a country and can just destroy. And so, by and large, most of the world wants peace in their life. They'd rather have that than than anything else. Especially if you're running for Miss Universe, you know that you want world peace. (laughs) That is what they are all about every time they want world peace. But how about your own personal life? Your own personal life, your, your interaction with people in your life. What would you rather have, war or peace? Would you rather be in conflict with people or would you rather be at peace with other people around you? The Bible tells us that as much as is within us, we are to live peaceably with all men. But not everybody, even within the church, wants to live peaceably with one another. You know, they like the conflict. They like having that that bantering back and forth and stuff like that, and keeping the drama going. And so some people do like the conflict, but most people like peace. (laughs) We should like peace. But how about within yourself, just you? Would you rather have war or peace within yourself? Because a lot of people battle in their lives. They have conflict within their lives, and there's always this, this warring within us. 
And if you had your way, you would want to be at peace all the time so you're not struggling with things in our lives. And so again, if we were totally honest with ourselves, we want peace from within. So we don't have this constant battle within ourselves. The, the, the last question before we move on, this would, would you rather question, would you rather be at peace with God or would you rather be at war with God? Again, most people would say, of course, with peace. I'd rather have peace with God. But I'll tell you, it is impossible to have peace with God if you are at war with the people around you day in and day out. It's hard to have peace with God. Not if you are like even battling within yourself. It's hard to have that peace of God in your life if you are constantly conflicting with people and with yourself. It's almost impossible to to have that kind of peace. And the only way that we can have or be at peace with God is to have the peace of God upon our lives. Having the peace of God resting on our lives. And it's hard to have that kind of peace of God resting on our lives if we're not even drawing close to Him. The Bible tells us that we're going to look. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And when you draw near to God and when He draws near to you, you will have the peace of God resting upon yourself. And then you can be at peace with other people. And even within yourself. I'm going to give you a little, a little advice here in this whole being at war with God because it's interesting because people, even though they say, I want to be at peace with God, they are constantly even at war with God and I want to give you some advice. Give up. I've, I've read the end of the book and all the wars, God wins them all. The last war especially, you do not want to be on the opposite end of that war with God. The world will fight against God and they will lose. And so, take that for what it's worth. (laughs) He wins all the time. James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? At war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures, adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the, script, the, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse, you, ha- cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. 
This, this chapter starts off by asking the question, where do wars and fights come from among you? And it shows us, and as we covered last week, they come when the focus is taken off of God and the focus comes upon us. When the focus is us, that's when wars and fights come from among us. When it becomes all about us. When we don't get what we want. When we don't get what we think we deserve, there are wars and fights among us. So because of that, there is those, that, that, this constant conflict. And it all boils down to pride and selfishness. <laughs> That's what it boils down to. When we are thinking about ourselves, and we, every one of us, are guilty of that. <laughs> we think about ourselves first and foremost. And that is when pride and, 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 and selfishness comes in, and we begin to be at odds with other people. Because when it's not about me, 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 and others are not thinking about me, 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 then, then we have a problem. Because isn't life all about me? And aren't you thinking about me all the time? Because if you're not, how selfish are you? You're not thinking about me. How dare you not think about me? Because I was thinking about you thinking about me. <laughs> and so I can't believe that you weren't like thinking of me. You, you, you see how bad it can get when you're not thinking about me and, and, and making sure that it's all about me? You, 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 you make yourself a bad person. Because you're so selfish. <laughs> but where, where, where does this pride and, and selfishness come from? It comes from our pride and selfishness <laughs> that we all have, that we all battle with. It started out with Satan himself, this pride and selfishness, when he deceived men and we inherited this pride and selfishness from him. Turn, if you will, or you can write it down to Isaiah chapter 14. In Isaiah 12, uh, 14, I mean, in Isaiah 14, it, it shows us a picture of how Satan turned the focus onto himself. And, and, and he took it away from God and he became, he made himself the enemy of God when he took his eyes off of God. And it was pride and selfishness that caused him to fall. In Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cast down to the ground. You who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the, on the mount of the congregation, on the furthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest uh, depths of the pit. 
Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, this is the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners. What a picture we get here of one who turned the focus on him and it was all about I, I, I. When you look at that portion of Scripture and it's talking about Lucifer, the son of the morning, who all of a sudden took his eyes off of God and it was all about him. And he said some pompous things that he will become certain things and yet God says, but you will be brought down to Sheol. Down to the pit. What a picture it is for us that when we focus on ourselves, we become like the enemy of God. We become an enemy of God because we we, we steal His glory and we want the glory and we, we have this pride and this selfishness. And as we covered last week, when we make ourselves a friend of the world, we make ourselves enemies of God. Because we can't serve two masters in that sense. We, 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 we can't have one foot over here and one foot over here. We have to make a decision. Our flesh, this world, and Satan wants the focus to be on me, me, me. <laughs> because when it's all about me, 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 I have no time for God. I have stolen His glory. For that matter, I have no time for others. I have no time for you if the focus is just on me. So from verses 7 through 10, as we look at this portion of Scripture, actually going back to verse 6 that we covered last week, when we look at what's the cure for this me, me, me syndrome, it shares it with us right here. Here's the cure. Underline it. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's the cure, being humble. That is the cure for the me, me, me syndrome. (laughs) God's grace is abundant. God's grace superabounds, it tells us, in Romans 5.20. It says, where sin is, grace abounds much more. You cannot ever run out of this grace. It is for everyone. But it is only given to the humble. That's that's who receives this grace. It's for everyone, but they, they have to be humble. They have to come to a place of humility. And the word humble means to be base, cast down, lowly. Of a low degree, making yourself of a low degree. That's what the word humble means. The word humble is quite the opposite from proud. (laughs) The word proud is one who is haughty, one who is arrogant, one who appears to be above others, and for that matter, above God. And so the cure for me, me, me syndrome is humble, being humble. Humble yourself. You guys should have written that down somewhere. (laughs) Ah, the cure for me. Humble yourself. 
But we need to take that even a step further as we're looking in this portion of Scripture, that, that, that we are to humble ourselves. The next step is that we are to submit to God. To submit means to be under obedience, put under subjection, to be subordinate. It's a military term that, 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 that means to, to render obedience for those who are higher up than you. It's interesting because we're looking at what the cure is for this me syndrome when the focus is, is, is me, when I want the focus on me. There, there's two things that we need to do. We need to be humble and we need to submit. <laughs> and most people hate those two words. We don't like those two words. Don't tell me that I need to, to submit. I don't like to submit. I want to be in charge. And so it goes against our grain sometimes. The word humble is another word that we, we have problems with <laughs> because our nature, our sin nature is to be proud and arrogant. And to be humble sometimes means to be weak in our eyes. And so these, these two things that, that we're discussing here kind of go against what we really want to do. In order to submit to God, we have to do something else. And that is resist the devil. To resist the devil means that we have to withstand, we have to stand against, we have to oppose. We have to oppose the one who keeps us from submitting to God. We, we, we read this verse and, and we would think, well, of course, of course I would be like, like doing that all the time. I should be doing that all the time. But how often do we do the opposite? You know, we, we, we read this verse as like, well, submit to God and resist the devil. And we're going, well, of course. But how often do we do the opposite and we submit to the devil and oppose God? Or we resist God? And I know that kind of sounds silly because most of us, we're going, we'd be going, no, 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 I, I, I don't resist God. It's like, yeah, we do. We do it all the time. Anytime we are acting in pride, anytime we are in that vein, then we are opposing God who is humble, who has called us to be humble. He has told us to submit to Him. And we're going, yeah, but God, I want to do my own thing right now. And it's like, you are opposing and resisting God. Because I know that for a lot of us, it's much easier to go with the flow than it is to go against the flow. And every time we go with the flow of what our flesh wants, every time we go with the flow of what this world system is telling us and what Satan tells us, then we are being disobedient. We are opposing God when we are going with the flow. It's that easy. And we get, all get caught up in it. The promise given to us in this verse, is that if or when we submit to God and resist the devil, the promise is that he will flee from us. That's an awesome promise. He will flee from us. Now I know that at, at this point some will be thinking, well, I, I, I resist the devil, but he doesn't flee. He doesn't seem to flee from me. <laughs> 
I, I, I always like in the name of Jesus, you know, and, 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 and yet it just doesn't seem to flee. It, it doesn't seem to be that cut and dry, Zeke, in my life, because I'm always trying to resist the devil. It's not that easy. Well, when we look at the story of Jesus in the wilderness, when he is being tempted by the devil himself, we see that there's this battle, this harassing, that, that, that he comes against Jesus continually. And each time he comes against Jesus, Jesus resists the temptation and Satan, the devil, flees. But guess what? He comes right back. He comes back and he tempts them again. And again, Jesus uses the word and he tells them to flee. And he flees and then he comes back again. At the end, he says, you know, like, get behind me, Satan. Away with you. And that battle was over there. But we see that Satan comes against Jesus time and time again. And each time he resists him. Which means that this is a continual thing that happens in our life. Because some people will say, well, well, I rebuked Satan. I, I, I resisted him. It's like, yeah, but you have to continue to do that day in and day out. Because Jesus was wholly submitted to, to God. His whole life was, was being submitted to God and Satan still came against him. How much more will he do that with you? Because he knows when you put down your defenses and he comes at you again, even when you have your defenses up, he still comes after you. He's relentless. It's a constant battle. And I think our mindset oftentimes is, well, I need to resist the enemy. I need to battle him day in and day out. And that's true. We have to battle him. But our mindset should not be that I have to resist him. Our mindset should be, I have to submit to God. That's what we should be doing. We should be submitting to God on a regular basis. Satan will come regardless. But we shouldn't put the focus on him that, okay, I'm getting up, now I've got, got to battle this day. It's like, no, why don't you get up and say, I'm going to submit to God. I just want to submit to God this morning. The enemy is going to come, but if I'm submitted to God, he will flee. And so our mindset should be there, but I think oftentimes we want that battle. We want that struggle. We want the drama in our life. You know, and so, man, we don't submit to God very, very often. And so we just kind of battle the enemy. And guess what? You're going to lose all the time. We are to submit to God every day, a hundred times a day, if we have to continue to submit to him, because he will continue to come after you. And when he continues to come after you, you continue to resist him as you're submitting the first step to submitting is resisting. Or, anyway, submit to him. Maybe I got that wrong. I don't know how that came out. Like, oh. All right. Submit to him. Draw near to, to God, it says here. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near means to make near. To approach. To be at hand. Making yourself available to submit to Him on a regular basis. Coming to Him continuously. There is something that we have to do on our part 
You see, we can do nothing to gain salvation. It is a gift of God. It's not of works. You can't work for it. But once you become saved, once you're there, then our part, the ball becomes, the ball gets put on our court. Then we have to do certain things. And again, it's, it's submitting to God, resisting the devil, drawing near to him. That those are all action things that we need to be doing. We can't just say, well, I've become a Christian and, and here I am. It's like, dude, you're going to get beat up constantly. You have to act. You have to move forward. You have to submit. You have to resist. You have to draw near. And I can guarantee you that every time you draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. He will. He's not going to say, you know what? I haven't seen you. I haven't heard from you for a week since the last time you were in church. So why should I draw near to you? He doesn't do that to us. You know, he, 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 as soon as we draw near to him, he draws near to, to us. But God will never drag you to himself. He will not violate you that way. He, he, he will not make you res- come to him or, or draw near to him. He will not force you in any way. He wants us to make that first move. But in reality, he's already made that first move, by sending His Son to die for us. He's already made it possible so that we can come to Him at any time. He hasn't held anything back in that sense. And so He has made that first move, and it reminds me of when, when, when the, the prodigal son went off to go do his own thing, the father was waiting for him, and he was longing for him, even while he was out eating with the, with the pigs. That was still his son, and he was still looking out, looking for his son to return. And as soon as he saw him, and he had made that move to come to him, the father ran to him and met him right where he's at. And that's the way I see that when we draw near to God, he will be there instantly. He will meet us right where we're at. He will come (laughs) a-running. Because he's longing for you, but he's not going to force you to draw near to him. There's a portion of Scripture in Second Chronicles 15, verses 1 and 2. You can write it down. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord came to Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, Hear me, o, hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, He will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He puts the ball in our court. He tells us, you make the move. You come near to me and I will draw near to you. I won't force you. I won't force you to come to me. But as long as we are continuing to to draw near to him, he will never hold back. He will always be there for you. I think what, what makes James this, this hardcore kind of guy is that he tells us about the grace that God is willing to, to pour out His grace. He tells us about how we are to submit and draw near to God. But he also tells us that it's serious. There's the seriousness about this. We are to be broken. We are to bow down. We are to submit in that sense. I, I like the way the, 
the, the Amplified puts verse 8. Listen to how the Amplified puts verse 8. Come close to God and He will come close to you. Recognize that you are sinners. Get your soiled hands clean. Realize that you have been disloyal. Wavering individuals with divided interests and purify your hearts of your spiritual adultery. It's pretty hardcore. Not mad at them. (laughs) He's just telling them like it is. This is up to you. (laughs) If you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands. Do something about it. James hits these, these readers once again with the whole adulterer, adulteress thing as he shared in verse 4. As we looked at last week, we are, we are to be married to Christ and still there's that continuing spiritual adultery wanting both sides and you can't have it both ways. And that's why he mentions that they were double-minded in that sense. They were continuing to be double-minded, wanting it both ways, and you can't. The whole washing and purifying had to do with ceremonial cleansing. And those who were reading this letter understood it completely. They understood what it meant to have this Jewish culture that, that, that had ceremonial washings. James had a tendency of leaning in that way being the leader of the the Jerusalem church that was full of Jewish culture. (laughs) And it seems that when we get into verse 9, it seems like he wants us to be in sackcloth and ashes where he says, lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And it's interesting because we often... Think about other scriptures where it says, let your, let your, your mourning be turned into gladness. And here it's almost like the opposite, that he wants us to realize how serious this is, that, that we, there has to be this, this seriousness about, about repentance. There's nothing we can do to fix our sin. It's all by pure grace that he has forgiven us of our sin. We need to understand that. We can't do penance to to fix our sins. We can't do anything to be in His good graces in that way when it comes to salvation. The the, the Bible tells us in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But there is conviction of the Holy Spirit. We need to allow that, that conviction of the Holy Spirit that draws us to God, that, that, that draws us to repentance. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is from the enemy and God doesn't want us to be condemned. But there's conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit and that draws us to God. It, it, it should be a time where, where we bask in that kind of grace that He would show us. Grace does not give us a license to continue to sin. Grace should draw us to repentance. This should be breaking our hearts. We, we, we sing a song. Part of the song says, Break my heart for what breaks yours, Lord. That we would have that kind of desire that He has, that whenever we sin and it breaks His heart, that it would break our heart, and that we would truly be sorry for our sin, that we would turn from it. 
That's what this verse is talking about, verse 9. That we would understand the seriousness. Because I hope you understand that grace does play a major role in everything we do concerning God. But the seriousness of repentance is just as important. To understand that we need to repent and turn from our sin. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These God will not despise. The word contrite means to be sorry. To have remorse. (laughs) To, to feel shame, but in a way that would draw us to God and not away from God. That, that, that we would understand the seriousness of what sin does in our lives when it just separates us from fellowship with God. So he says, submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. But we have to act on that. We have to continue to, to act on that, to, to, to draw closer to Him, and He will draw close to us. Verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Oh, what an amazing scripture. should be underlined, highlighted, arrows pointing towards it. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. An old song that we sing <laughs> about humbling yourself. There's two ways to be humble before the Lord. When we humble ourselves and when He humbles us. <laughs> Both are good. Because the end result is that we have been humbled. But one is less painful than the other. I... I we I could either cling to the rock and be humbled or I can be crushed by the rock and be humbled. I would much rather cling to him and say I can't do this without you Lord. I am nothing. Please help me. Instead of saying I could do this on my own Lord. Call you later man when I need you. Crush. Because he loves us too much. Oh, God would, 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 will always lift us up one way or the other. However he, we, we are humbled, He will lift us up. God will lift us up after He has broken us down. He loves us that much. But it's much better when He lifts us up when we are broken before Him. When we initiate that and we come before Him with a broken heart, with a humble heart that says, Lord, I have sinned. Then He lifts us up. He lifts up our, our face when we're cast down. Just, here, it's okay. God resists the proud. That's what we learned in, in chapter in verse 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you are His, humble yourself. Because He loves you enough to humble you. He will do that. 
that hurts. <laughs> that hurts when we're stubborn. When we're thinking that we can do it our own way. Again, it goes back to the pride that, that we, we tend to go to constantly. I want to encourage you. Humble yourself. Always remember that when pride is used, <laughs> Satan wins every time. Satan wins every time we use pride in our life. When we allow pride to take over, Satan wins that battle. And every time we humble ourselves, every time we use humility, Satan loses every time. He hates that. <laughs> Peter said in chapter 5, 1 Peter, says, Therefore humble, 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. He will do that if we humble ourselves. And maybe this morning God has been speaking to your heart <laughs> because you've been prideful and arrogant. Even in your Christian life, you've just been having this attitude and God's like, you need to be humbled. And he loves us enough to do that. Because he understands that, that when pride is being used in our lives, then we're being used by the enemy and not by him. We're resisting him when we do that. And so my heart is that even this morning, as we close in prayer, that you would just ask God to humble you. Or that you would just humble yourself. Draw near to him this morning. Because he wants to draw near to you. As we close in prayer, I just want to just be quiet before I, I, I begin to speak. And I want you to just enter into His presence right now. He wants to hear from you. And maybe this is going to be a time for you to repent and humble yourself. So let's just have a little time of quietness as we close in prayer. Father, even right now, Lord, as we're in your presence, been in your presence, Lord, we've been in your word, Lord. You've been speaking to us, Lord, about this subject of humility, about drawing closer to you, Lord God. And Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now, Lord. Many of them you've drawn here for this very purpose, Lord. Lord, you, you were ready to break them, Lord God, but you wanted them to to humble themselves before you did. And I pray that this morning, Lord God, they have come into your presence, ask for forgiveness. And Lord, that you're drawing them to yourself right now and they're drawing close to you. I pray, God, that you would just minister to them and just help them, Lord God, to receive your goodness, Lord. That they would allow you, Lord God, to just be strong on their behalf, Lord. Lord, those who are still battling, Lord God, this pride, Lord. They think it's of you, Lord, and it's not. I pray, God, that you would break them then. That they would be crushed by the rock so that you can lift them up in due time. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would do that work within my brothers and sisters, Lord. Father, if there's one or some that are
are here this morning who don't know you, Lord. They've never submitted to you. They've never surrendered to you. They've never drawn near to you, Lord God. But they're here this morning and you're speaking to them. And right now, as everybody is praying, everybody just being in, in God's presence, I just want to offer this time for you that if you're here and you know that you're not right with God, you've never accepted Jesus, you know you're far away, I want to give you this opportunity. I just want to pray for you. That you would just raise your hand and say, I need Jesus in my life. I need to surrender. I need to submit. Is there anyone this morning? Lift your hand so I can just see and pray for you. Is there anyone? Because God's brought you here so that you can surrender.